Good evening. Can you hear me all right? No. Can you hear me now? Yes, that's better. Great. Uh, we're going to pray and then have a look at these words together. Weren't those, the, the words we just share with each other are amazing, aren't they? The Father himself loves you. So why don't we just pray those words in to our hearts collectively tonight, now. Lord, we want to thank you this evening that that is true. That the Father, you love each one of us. Would you seal that truth in our hearts tonight, in our heads? Lord, as we look at this story of you encountering the man in Jerusalem, we see this love demonstrated tangibly. Would you come and soften our hearts tonight? Lord, break our hearts for those things of your kingdom. That we would see you tonight. Spirit of God, Prince of Peace, rest in this place upon each one of us, we ask. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So we are thinking tonight, and we have been actually across the whole day, about what it means for us to be a church, a group of people who are accessible to all, to everyone. And the basis for us wanting to to do this is that God himself loves you. God himself loves everyone. You are all created by God. He is the creator of all people. And he welcomes all people. Jesus, as we will remember in a moment through communion, came to live and die and rise again for all people. And so we want to be accessible for all of uh, any, as John was saying, any background, any age, any ability. And when we use this word ability, we tend to, I think, always think of either people being able or not able. But certainly I realise more and more that actually we all have mixed ability, all of us whether that be physical ability, some of us see better than others, some of us hear differently to others, we have different ability when it comes to learning and remembering. All of us have mixed ability. And as we look through the Bible, the New Testament, and Jesus' life and ministry, what we see is that Jesus spent nearly all of his time reaching out to those who were deaf or blind, those who were grieving, those who were lost in different ways, those who maybe had physical um, uh, problems. So he reached out to those who were, in the world's eyes, weak. And he did that far more than he spent time with those who were powerful or wealthy. His ministry was marked by reaching out to those in need and actually, I want to begin by, tonight by saying all of us are in need. I am in need. I have huge needs. And the sooner we come to realize that before God, the better off we will be. Coming before God with humility, with a thirst and a hunger to receive from him. 
Now, what we saw in that video is Jesus was walking around in the temple courts. It was the Feast of Tabernacles, and there were a lot of people there. There was noise and chaos, and yet through this chaos and noise, Jesus sees this man before him. And that is the first point that I want to draw out of this passage, that Jesus sees And I wonder for you, when you go about your business, your life, whatever you're doing in Reading, whether you spend your week in Reading or anywhere else, who and what you notice. If you're in Reading or, I mean, in London, any town or city, they are full of noise, aren't they? And building sites and people toing and froing and shouting and cars and traffic. What is it, or maybe I should ask, who is it that you notice when you're walking around the streets of Reading? The story begins here in chapter 9. Not with a blind man calling out to Jesus. We do see that in a number of encounters Jesus has that people call out to him. But here it's very different. In verse 1 we read that as Jesus went along he saw the blind man in front of him. Now blindness was much more common in the time of Jesus than it would be today. Mainly because... There wasn't the same levels of fresh running water. And there wasn't the cure, the medicine available today to help anyone who had illness or or disease. And there would have been countless people who would have walked past this man, just passed by, ignoring him. In the same way that if you go into Broad Street any day in Reading, the majority of people will just walk past someone who's homeless They'll ignore them, pretend they're not even there. And the same is true actually for a whole category of people in our society. Society only recognises those who fit in. But the point here in this passage is Jesus sees. He looks beyond the troubles that this man is facing deep into his heart. And more than that, Jesus looks with compassion. Because he sees that this man is created by God. Just like you and me. We are all created equally by God and are seen equally by him. And so where numerous people would have just walked past him, there he is again, the same man sitting in the same place. People would have got frustrated with him. Why is he still there? begging Jesus looks at him he sees him with compassion and reaches out to him so Jesus takes the initiative and if you and I are to be Christ-like in our lives it means that we need to take the initiative like Jesus to see and to reach out to those in need those whom society ignores and dismisses if you want to be one of the most amazing human beings on this earth, those who are Christ's ambassadors, then we are to see those around us, to take notice of them and to walk towards them, to speak to them, to invite them, to listen, 
to learn to engage with the other person who's in front of us, just as Jesus does. About 11 years ago, I was in Lyon on a placement in France with Liz and one of our children. And I don't really remember very much about what happened during this time in Lyon, but there was one day that has stuck in my memory forever. And we spent a day at uh, a community called Lush. If you've ever heard of it, it is a worldwide community. Um, Lush means arc in French. And it was begun by a man called Jean Vanier, who is an amazing follower of Jesus. In fact, he went to be with the Lord last year, I think it was. But he started this, there's about 100 of these communities around the world that are gathering together men and women with additional needs who come together to live and learn what it means to be loved by God, to be in a community where they are known and loved. And as Liz and I spent a day in this community, I can tell you I have never, ever seen unconditional love in the way that was demonstrated within this community. I have never seen peace and true joy in the way that I saw in this community. Kindness and gentleness. And in fact... It's something very similar. If you were to go along to Tuesday Special here at Greyfriars or All Stars or the group that sits alongside the children in this church who need additional love and care, you would see something very similar because these ministries are birthed out of these words, these actions of Jesus here in John 9 and in other passages of Scripture where Jesus reaches out to those in need to those whom society ignores, those whom society neglects, and those whom society judges. Now the disciples also cast judgment on this man. If you have a look at the beginning of chapter 9, you'll see that they ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? And they're trying to get under the skin of Whose fault is it, Jesus, that this man cannot see? But Jesus sees through this question and he is absolutely clear that they are asking the wrong question. Behind their question was the view that there's a connection between sin and suffering. And it was a fairly common view back in in the day of Jesus, particularly amongst many of the um, Jewish believers. And in fact, if you were to go back into the Old Testament, look at the book of Job, Job's so-called friends believed that there was this connection between sin and suffering. And sometimes there is a connection between sin and suffering. If you or I were to commit a crime, if we were to be greedy, to, to be selfish, we would end up causing suffering for those around us. But the Bible is absolutely clear that the righteous will suffer even though they have done nothing wrong. And here in this passage of scripture, Jesus says very clearly, he corrects the disciples saying, there is no automatic link between sin and suffering. 
There is no automatic link between sin and suffering. And what he says in chapter 9 to the disciples is this. And I want to read this to you in a different version. Because as I've been diving into these words over the last few weeks, I realized that the NIV translation doesn't help us here. In fact, the words that are used in the NIV don't really reflect the heart of what Jesus was saying as written down in the original Greek version. So the closest I can get to is this translation. Jesus says to his disciples, you are asking the wrong question. You are looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. Look instead for what God can do. And what God does here is through Jesus, he shows mercy to this man. He redeems the the awkward and hurtful words of the disciples. He pours out compassion on this man. And then the second and last point I want to touch on is that Jesus reveals God's glory. Jesus reveals God's glory. Now, I wonder what you think of when you hear these words, God's glory. Maybe you think about God's glory in creation. Maybe you think about answered prayer. Maybe you think about times of worship. Maybe just thinking about the glorious sound of the person next to you who's been singing for the last 20 minutes in our service. Maybe not. Um, Maybe you think about times that you've had with God in in worship yourself or praying or reading scripture. Those thin moments, those thin places when we're close to God and we sense his presence tangibly. Throughout John's gospel, there are a few refrains, things that are repeated. One of them is what we hear about light and darkness. So we've looked at this, haven't we, over the last few weeks. It starts in John 1. In John 8, we read Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Those who follow me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And here in John 9, Jesus says, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so this light symbolizes God's glory entering into our world. It symbolizes the kingdom of God piercing through the darkness. And as we were praying earlier, there's a sense tonight that God wants to shine his light in various ways into our lives. That we would see the kingdom of God breaking through in our our lives in a whole number of different ways. I'm going to share some of that with you later as we pray. We see this refrain of light at the transfiguration. We see the glory of God and the light of Christ together. At his ascension, when Jesus goes to be with the Father, again, a moment of glory and light. But another theme that comes through in John's Gospel is water. And we've talked about The woman at the well and Jesus offering her living water. A couple of weeks ago we thought about the Feast of Tabernacles and the priest pouring water onto the base of the altar to symbolise the Holy Spirit. And here Jesus tells this man to go to the pool of Siloam and to wash. And this water symbolises renewal 
new life. And as Sam was talking about baptisms, that we're going to baptise people here on the 8th of March in this pool here, this water will symbolise new life. The Holy Spirit washing over you as you are baptised, as you give yourself again to the Lord. Some of you for the first time, some of you may be reaffirming your baptismal vows. And so this light and water together symbolise the glory of God through Jesus coming into our lives and into this world. Now you may have watched this video or read these words and thought, what is going on with Jesus spitting on the floor, making mud and rubbing it in this, this guy's eyes? I mean, how would you feel if someone came and did that to you tomorrow morning when you wake up? They rubbed mud, spat on the floor and rubbed mud in your eyes. How would you feel? Well, we need to understand something. If you look at verse... 13 of chapter 9 we read that it was the sabbath when jesus met this man and on the sabbath it was forbidden for anyone to heal to bring new life it was forbidden for anyone to anoint under the jewish law and so when jesus makes this mud and rubs it in the eyes of this man he is making a statement about who he is who jesus is He is the saviour of the world. He is the one who has come into this world, the light into darkness. He is the source of this living water. And he is saying by this very act of rubbing mud into this man's eyes and sending him to the pool of Siloam, that he is God. He is the source of healing. He is the light of the world. He is the one who not only brings sight to this man, but brings life in his inner being. He breathes new life into his soul and his spirit. Now on this occasion, Jesus healed this man. We saw on the video, didn't we? His eyes were opened and he could see. But you and I know that That doesn't necessarily happen every time we pray. Not necessarily in the way that we might want or hope. The Apostle Paul had a number of, or a particular, physical problem. We don't know what it was. We don't know the details of it. But he cries out to God for healing three times. And he hears Jesus say this. My grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in weakness. This is the kingdom way. You know, we're told from almost a young age that we need to be strong and we need to be independent. But actually what we see here is we need to embrace our weakness. Not hide our weaknesses. Not hide those who are weak. This is what Jesus did on the cross. He embraced weakness. He gave of himself. He poured himself out. He gave himself up for you and for me on the cross. Jesus' glory 
wasn't demonstrated through the Apostle Paul by healing him, but by demonstrating his glory through the ministry of Paul, by sustaining Paul, by speaking through Paul, by doing things that Paul never thought were possible. Remember that Paul was a murderer. Even John, the one who wrote this gospel, was called a son of thunder. He was an angry young man. And yet, he went on to be known as Beloved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. His glory was shown through the life of John in ways that were never expected. This blind man who was rejected by society was healed. He went on to testify to the goodness and the glory of God. And Jesus himself came from Nazareth. Everyone said, what good could possibly come from Nazareth? And yet the glory of God was demonstrated in what looked like a defeat on the cross. And yet was ultimately a victory. The victory of all victories. When this blind man opened his eyes and went back to his friends you can see in the picture here they said how did you get your sight and he replied it was the man they called Jesus when he finally saw Jesus for the first time he looked at him and he said Lord I believe God's glory can be made tangible in and through you and me. But we need to believe and trust. If you want to see God's glory, I want to encourage you tonight to spend time with those whom society would push to one side. Some of you did it this last month, bed for the night, standing with the homeless. The presence of Jesus is there. Some of you are part of Tuesday Special and All Stars. I can tell you the presence of Jesus is there. Go along and see it. Be part of what God is doing. You know, I often say a different context again is, you know, I was so blessed by spending seven years doing prison ministry. The presence of Jesus was there. Through these ministries and reaching out to those in need in different ways we will receive more than we could ever give we will learn more about Jesus than we might do in other ways and we will see the true joy of the kingdom of God and the glory of God at work so let's take a moment now to pray and we're then going to share communion and as we do this I just love to encourage each one of us You might be here tonight and are feeling weak. And I really want to reiterate those words of Jesus when he spoke to the Apostle Paul. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And I want to encourage each one of us as we come forward and receive communion. And 
all of you as you follow Jesus are welcome to receive communion here tonight. To come forward not hiding your weakness. But just like Jesus on the cross. Believing actually that the very power and glory of God is able to be made manifest and visible and tangible through our weaknesses. And maybe as we come forward again for communion, just to be asking God, Lord, who do you want me to see this week? Who is it that you're calling me to? Maybe there's someone around you at work or school or university or in your neighborhood where you live. And actually God is calling you to see someone differently, to reach out to them. So let's pray and then we're going to stand and share communion together. We want to thank you tonight, Lord, that you turn weakness into strength. That you breathe life into that which has no life. That the very kingdom of God is one that is upside down in the the way society views individuals and groups is so different from the way you view those same groups, Lord. Help us to have your eyes to see. Help us, Lord, to search those places for the very kingdom of God. in areas of our society where no one else will go or look. Thank you that you are a God of compassion. Thank you that you are a God who loves to pour out blessing and a God who truly loves each one of us. And so I pray for us tonight, Lord, as we come forward to remember your death and your resurrection, that we would know The Father himself truly loves you. That as you receive this bread and wine, maybe for the first time or the hundredth time, that you would know the Father himself loves you.